following is a teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how you can join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org. Well, good morning, everybody. So glad that you are here with us this morning. It's good to be back after a few weeks out. If you have your Bible, grab it and let's go to Luke chapter 8. A preacher used to say, turn in your Bible to Luke 8. I guess now we say, turn on your Bible to Luke 8. So join me there in Luke 8. We're going to be jumping back and forth this morning between Luke's gospel, John's gospel, looking at the life and ministry of Jesus. A few weeks ago, we began this sermon series called, Can You Relate? Looking at Jesus as our model in relationships. The first week, we talked about Jesus and his friends. What we can learn from looking at the life of Jesus about the way we engage in spiritual friendship. We talked about Jesus and his family, the uh, complicated dynamics within a family system and what we can learn from the life of Jesus as it relates to family. We talked about Jesus and the crowds and, and then Jesus and his enemies. Last week, Jesus, last week, Betsy talked about Jesus as it relates to his enemies. If you missed that sermon, you need to go back. It's one of those can't miss sermons. I, I've said for a long time, uh, I want to preach like Betsy Maldonado when I grow up. So uh, if you missed it, go back and check it out. But this week we are talking about Jesus and women. This is an important subject for us to talk about. It's a distinctive of our church that, that as we look back through history, what we recognize, what we must concede is the church historically and the church in the world today doesn't always have a great track record in terms of the way in which women are seen and, and treated. And yet that's not what we find in the life and ministry of Jesus. So this morning, I want to give you right up front, I want to give you my whole sermon in two sentences. Don't worry, there's going to be some more sentences that come after, but, but this is the summary of the whole thing. Two sentences. Jesus trusted women, honored women, empowered women, and commissioned women. Be like Jesus. And all God's women said... Amen. Amen. Right. This is what we see in the life and ministry of Jesus, that Jesus trusted women, that Jesus honored women, that Jesus empowered women and that Jesus commissioned women, that we should be like Jesus. This has implications for us as a church, the kind of church that we're going to be. It has implications for all of us as individuals, for the men in the room. It has implications for us as we consider the way in which we see and treat the women in our lives, the women in the world, instructed by the way of Jesus. If you're a woman in the room, it has implications for you for the way in which you see and treat other women and even the way you see and treat yourselves. So this morning, we're going to explore Jesus and women. But to understand, to appreciate just how significant, how, how radical, how distinctive was the life and ministry of Jesus as it relates to women, you actually have to understand something of the world that Jesus was born into. And what you find is if you look back at the Old Testament, the Old Testament has a very high view of women. That You go back to the book of Genesis, and right there from the very beginning, we see Eve, the, the, the mother of life. And she is a, a, a co-equal image bearer with Adam, given the same charge to fill and subdue the earth. That the Bible begins with a very high view of women. And then you see just some amazing women throughout the pages of the Old Testament. 
Women like Deborah, who was a judge over Israel. And, and when you hear judge, don't think like Judge Judy in a robe behind a bench, right? When you hear judge, think this is the political and military ruler of the people of Israel. Uh, an amazing woman like Jael, who delivered the people of Israel by taking a hammer and a tent peg and driving it through the uh, skull of uh, a military leader who was oppressing the people of Israel. If anybody's looking for a, a baby name for a little girl, can I just suggest JL? She's amazing. Um, uh, a woman like Huldah, who is a prophet, who speaks on behalf of God to the king of Israel. And on and on we could go with these amazing women through the old, to the story of the Old Testament. But, but what we find is that the world in which Jesus is born into is a world in which women have been subjected to shame and subjugation. You see this actually in the writings of the time, the, the, the prominent Jewish writings. There's, there's one uh, writer that wrote in between the, the close of the Old Testament, the open of the New Testament, that 400 years between Malachi and Matthew, a writer named Ben, ben Sirach. Uh, sometimes his uh, writing is called Ecclesiasticus. Um, not included in our Bible, but in that intertestamental period. And he said things like this. He said, from woman is the beginning of sin. And because of her, we all die. Allow water no outlet, nor an evil wife boldness. If she does not go as you direct, cut her off from your flesh. I'm gonna have to use that line next time Kim and I get in a little spat, right? From woman is the beginning of sin and because of you all die. (laughs) Or further on in that same writing, we see this. A gift from the Lord is a silent wife and nothing is so precious as her self-discipline. Charm upon charm is a wife with a sense of shame and nothing is more valuable than her bound up mouth. Unbelievable. The, The same idea continues with these words. For from garments comes the moth and from woman comes woman's wickedness. Better is the wickedness of a man than a woman who does good. It is woman who brings shame and disgrace. This is the world that Jesus is born into. You you see it also on display in the Mishnah, a collection of rabbinic writings that was collected after the time of Jesus, but that reflects teaching that was oral tradition even during the time of Jesus. The Mishnah says things like this. He that talks much with women brings evil upon himself and neglects the study of law and will at last inherit Gehenna. Translation, talk to women, go to hell. Or this one. Every man who teaches his daughter Torah, teaches her the Bible, is as if he taught her promiscuity. You don't trust the Bible to women. Another very similar idea. Let the words of Torah be burned, but do not let them be delivered to women. And finally, All we can expect from them is that they bring up our children and keep us from sin. This is the world in which Jesus was born into. This was the way the world of the first century viewed and treated women. And tragically, these kind of sentiments 2,000 years later are still alive and well. 
Tragically, these kind of sentiments are alive and well within the church 2,000 years later. But Jesus came to change everything. And when we look at the life and ministry of Jesus, what we find is that Jesus trusted women. Jesus honored women. Jesus empowered women. And Jesus commissioned women. We want to be like Jesus. We're going to start by looking at uh, the way in which Jesus trusted women. We could go to a number of different passages to illustrate all these principles. But but I want to take you to this passage in Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. After this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary, called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna and many others. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. Now, this is... A remarkable little scene. Again, if we were reading in this in the first century, our jaw would drop. Because we think about Jesus and his disciples, and we tend to think about the 12, kind of that inner circle of disciples who went with Jesus everywhere he went, who heard everything that Jesus said, who, who saw everything that Jesus did. And yet, what we find here is that it's not just the 12 who are part of Jesus' traveling ministry, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God. That in fact, Jesus has a group of female Disciples were following him around and engaging in his work. In the first century world, a male rabbi would not have female disciples. And yet here they are in in what had to be culturally scandalous. This group of women who have had their lives changed by Jesus. Now enlisted as his disciples, traveling with him and engaging with him in ministry. And they're the ones who are funding it. Their lives have been so impacted and they're, they're women who have some means. And, and they are mobilizing their resources to support the ministry of Jesus. Jesus' livelihood depends on these women. The, the food that he eats depends on it being provided by these women. That, that Jesus deeply trusted this group of women, to enlist them as his disciples, to depend on them for their financial support. Jesus trusted these women and and they trusted him in return. They felt safe in his presence, never threatened by his gaze, never belittled by his words, never fearful of his treatment. They trusted him. He trusted them. Jesus trusted women. Second, Jesus honored women. Once again, we could take you to a whole bunch of passages to show this, but I want to take you to one that's very familiar, but but to see it maybe with a little new eyes this morning. John chapter four, flip back over to John chapter four, the very famous story of Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus and the woman at the well to see the way that Jesus honors her in their encounter. We'll pick up the story in verse five. So he, that is Jesus, came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now, that's a very interesting little detail. How often do the gospel writers tell us what time of day something happened? The answer is not very often. 
So when they do, we have to sort of scratch our heads and go, why is that little detail there? But we'll come back to that. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Now, this begins a lengthy conversation that Jesus has with this woman. And it's worth noting right up front. The longest conversation that Jesus has with any one individual throughout the gospel is with this Samaritan woman. He engages her in this conversation by asking her to give him a drink. And she is completely shocked that he would even speak to her because she's a woman and because she's a Samaritan. A Jewish man, especially a, a, a rabbi, wouldn't speak to a woman in public, even if that woman was his wife or his mother. New Testament scholar William Barclay talks about the Pharisees and the way in which they actually interacted publicly with women. And Barclay says this. He says, no really strict Orthodox teacher would be seen talking to a woman in public, even if that woman was his wife or his sister. These Pharisees went even further. They would not even allow themselves to look at a woman on the street. In order to avoid doing so, they would shut their eyes and so bump into walls, buildings, and obstructions. Thus, they, were, uh, they bruised and wounded themselves, and their wounds and bruises gained them a special reputation for exceeding piety. They wouldn't even look at a woman in public, and they fall all over themselves. And then wear their bruises as a badge of honor. And here we see Jesus engage this woman in a conversation. And she's shocked that he as a man would engage conversation with her as a woman. He's shocked that that he as a Jew would engage her as a Samaritan. There was a deep-seated antagonism. And that's probably not even strong enough a word. A deep-seated hatred between Jews and Samaritans in the first century world. It went back centuries, and it was deeply held, a deeply held racism between Jews and Samaritans. And she is shocked and scandalized that you you would have your Jewish lips touch my Samaritan jar. And then they get into this conversation, and and Jesus starts talking to her and says, you know, if, if you knew who it was that asked you for a drink, you'd actually ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And they have this whole exchange around living water. Jesus is recognizing this woman has a deep thirst that goes far beyond her physical need for water. She's got a deep spiritual thirst. And he's indicating to her that he can provide that deep spiritual thirst. But she's sort of missing the point. And here's this is like this great promise. Like, I would love it if I didn't have to keep coming back here and drawing water from this well every day. And so pick up the story with me a little further on in verse 15. The woman said to him, sir. Give me this water so I, don't have to, uh, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, go call your husband and come back. In that moment, I have to imagine that her countenance just shrank. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. 
what you have just said is quite true. Now, this is a familiar story to many of us who grew up in the church. And perhaps you, like me, heard this story taught for years as though this was an indication of this woman's morals, that she was a morally loose woman. She was a bit of a floozy. That she jumped around from one man to another to another to another, and now she's shacking up with some guy, not even her husband. Can I just tell you, that is a culturally impossible interpretation. Because a man could divorce a woman in the first century world for any reason he saw fit. One rabbi taught that if you didn't like her cooking or she burned a meal, you could divorce her. You could divorce her for any reason that you saw fit, and yet a woman could not initiate a divorce to a man. This isn't a woman who's run from one guy to another. This is a woman who's either been divorced or widowed five times. And now the man that she's with doesn't even have the decency to marry her. She's a woman who's vulnerable. She's a woman marked by shame. Remember we said this story took place about noon? The, uh, the weather in Israel is about like the weather we're experiencing right now. If you had to make a long journey with a heavy jar out of town to, to collect water, what time would you go? Right? You'd either go early in the morning or you'd go in the evening as the sun's beginning to go down. This woman goes right smack dab in the middle of the day when the sun is at his highest. I believe this is a woman who wants to be invisible. She chooses to go to the well at a time that, that she thinks she will not encounter anyone. Her life is marked by shame and, and Jesus speaks into that. Right? Jesus doesn't name her sin in order to shame her. He names her shame in order to heal her. This is a woman who's been pushed down and pushed down and pushed down. She's been shamed and shamed and shamed. And Jesus lifts her up and lifts her up and lifts her up. Jesus honors her throughout this story. He doesn't name her sin in order to shame her. He names her shame in order to heal her, in order to restore her, in order to meet that place of deep spiritual thirst. Well, she immediately changes the subject. This sort of just got uncomfortable. And so she actually engages Jesus in a bit of a theological debate. Jews and Samaritans uh, debated back and forth where the appropriate place was to worship God. And so she starts talking to him about the proper place to worship God. She engages him in theological debate. And it's really interesting. Jesus goes right there with her. Jesus engages her in this important theological conversation. If you're a woman in the room this morning, I think it's encouraging to know that Jesus would love to come in here and have a good theological conversation with you, a conversation about the Bible. And, and yet you come to the end of this and, and she, she kind of, uh, well, she wants to push the conversation off and she says this, verse 25. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything for us. He'll, he'll settle this debate once and for all. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's interesting to note 
that Jesus gives his first and most unambiguous declaration of his messianic identity to the Samaritan woman at the well. He tells her plainly, I'm the one. Her life has changed. The woman who at the beginning of the story wanted to be invisible runs back into town and and cries out to everybody in town and says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could he be the Messiah? Could he be the one we've been waiting for? Her life is transformed through this encounter with Jesus because of the way in which Jesus shows her honor, treats her with dignity, displays God's relentless love. Jesus trusted women. Jesus honored women. Third, Jesus empowered women. We're gonna flip back over to Luke now. Luke chapter 10. Go with me back to Luke chapter 10. Another very familiar story. If you grew up in the church like I did, you probably heard this story a lot. It's the story of Jesus coming to the home of Mary and Martha. And we pick it up there in verse 38 of Luke 10. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. So she came to, to him, to Jesus, and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has let me to do, left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Now again, the way this story has been taught for years, the way that I heard this story growing up, is that Mary and Martha sort of represent two different ways of doing life, right? The kind of the the active life and the contemplative life, the busy life and the reflective life. And, And there may be something to that in this story, but once again, a first century reader would have seen something that many of us miss. And that is that part of why Martha is upset is that Mary is where she doesn't belong. Because Mary is in the men's space. That in the ancient first century world, there was very clear demarcations of space within a home. That outside the home was space where children could play together in mixed company. But inside the home, there was the public space, which was the space occupied by men. And then there was the the private space, which included the kitchen, which was the space occupied by women. And Martha is off in the women's space doing what women were supposed to do. The idea that, that women belong in the kitchen isn't just a, a um, sexist joke like it might be in our culture today. This was a cultural reality for them. And Martha is upset because Mary is not in the space where she belongs. She says, Jesus, tell her, tell her to come back and to do what she's supposed to be doing. And yet Mary has come into the men's space. And Luke tells us that she was sitting at the feet of Jesus, that she sat at the Lord's feet. And once again, an ancient reader would have recognized what was going on there. To sit at the feet of a rabbi was to take the posture of a disciple, a a learner of that rabbi. In the book of Acts, we read that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel. That was just a way of saying Paul was a disciple of the rabbi Gamaliel. 
Here Mary has come and she has postured herself before Jesus in the position of a disciple. There's something about her very presence there, her very posture there, that is saying to Jesus, Jesus, is there a place for me? Is there a place for me? Is there a part for me to play in this kingdom vision that you keep talking about? And Jesus' response to her is, yes. If you're a woman or a girl hearing my voice today, hear me very clearly. Jesus wants you as his disciple and that he has a part for you to play in his kingdom vision in the world. Jesus has a part for you to play in his work in the world that only you can play. And then he is calling you, he is inviting you, he he wants to empower you to participate in his grand mission. He wants you to be with him, to become like him, so as to carry on his work in the world. Jesus trusted women. Jesus honored women. Jesus empowered women. And then finally, Jesus commissioned women. Flip back over now to John chapter 20. John chapter 20, the very end of John's gospel This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. And now we see this scene that plays out in the garden. And interesting to note, when Jesus is on the cross, where are his male disciples? Everyone except one has disappeared from the scene. Everyone except one has abandoned him. But where are his female disciples? They're standing there at his nail-pierced feet, They're the last at the cross and the first at the tomb. And Mary has gotten to the tomb and and she's found that the stone's been rolled away. She's found that the body isn't there. She's, She's confused, she's bewildered, she's crying. And then Jesus comes up to her and she doesn't realize it's him. And and he asked her, verse 13, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was a gardener, she said, Sir. If you, carry, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. That, that line gets me every time. Tell me where he is and I'll go get him myself. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me for I have not yet ascended to the father. Go instead to my brother's. And tell them that I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went to the other disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. The very first person to preach the gospel of the resurrected Christ is a woman. It's Mary Magdalene. She is the one that is sent with the good news of the resurrection to the disciples. She is referred to sometimes as the apostle to the apostles, the sent one to the sent ones, because she is the one who goes and preaches. She proclaims the good news. Christ is risen. And Jesus commissions her. He sends her with that message. I have a friend who's a pastor down in Austin and he, uh, He put out a tweet this week that I thought was pretty interesting. Here's what it says. Them. I can't believe you allow women to preach at your church. Me. I don't. 
them. Oh, good. I, I heard they were preaching, but me. No, you heard right. Women preach at our church a lot. It's just not me who allows them. Jesus does. I just get out of the way and cheer them on. Jesus commissioned Mary to be the first one to go and preach the good news of the resurrected Christ. And we're a church that that is a a Bible church because we're a Jesus church and and we want to do what Jesus does. And Jesus trusts women and he honors women and he empowers women and and he commissions women and we want to do that too. But it's not just about women who stand on this stage and preach. It's about the reality that each and every one of you that's a woman in the room or watching online that God has a part for you to play in his redemptive work in the world. That he enlists all of us, men and women alike, to be his disciples, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, to carry on Jesus' work in the world. Jesus trusted women. He honored women. He empowered women, and he commissioned women. Be like Jesus. This does have implications for us as a church that this is who we are going to continue to be. A church that continues to follow the way of Jesus in this regard. But it also has implications for each and every person who's listening this morning. For those of you who are men. The implication, the invitation is to examine yourself. To examine yourself for the way in which you see and treat the women in your life, the women of this world. To examine the way in which you see and treat women with your eyes, with your mind, with your words, with your actions. And if you're a woman in the room this morning, this has implications for you. The implications for you to examine yourself for the way in which you see and treat other women and the way you see and treat yourself and an invitation to you from Jesus to be his disciple and to play the part that only you can play in his redemptive purposes in the world. Jesus trusted women. Jesus honored women. Jesus empowered women. Jesus believed or commissioned women. Let's be like Jesus. Will you pray with me? In this moment, I want to just give you the opportunity to, to do that work of examination before God. Now, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would just move across this room and with all the people who are watching online that you would bring conviction where there needs to be conviction that you would bring challenge where there needs to be challenge that that you would bring encouragement where there needs to be encouragement and that you'd help us each to respond as is fitting our father we thank you for the way in which we see your heart lived out in the life and ministry of Jesus. 
we want to become more and more like him in all of our relationships. And God, we thank you this morning for that reminder that, that even as Jesus encountered that woman at the well, that, that he, wasn't, he wasn't naming her sin in order to shame her. He was naming her shame in order to heal her. God, we recognize that all of us are weighed down by sin and shame. And yet Jesus came to take our sin and shame upon himself, to bear our sin and shame upon the cross and to triumph over sin and shame through his resurrection. And we thank you that through trusting in him, through through embracing by faith all that he has done on our behalf, that we can have the, the promise of forgiveness and the hope of eternal life. And we thank you for this good news this morning. And we pray it all in his name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching from Irving Bible Church. For more information on how to join us on a Sunday or take your next step, visit irvingbible.org.